everybody, and welcome to today's episode of the Arizona Field Podcast. This is episode number 14, and today we're sitting down with Matt Davis. Matt owns and operates uh, Final Rise Upland Vests out of Utah. He's a dedicated chucker hunter, big game hunter, uh, a lot like, you know, just like most of us, you know, pretty, pretty nicheless, so he'll kind of hunt whatever. But uh, yeah, no, Matt and I sit down, we talk about his vest, we talk about turkey hunting, and just have a good convo about whether well, it was there to talk about. So with that, I'm going to let you guys go, and we'll dive right in. All right, buddy, let's do her. All right. So today we're sitting down with Matt Davis. Um, Matt, I can't thank you enough for coming on and agreeing to be on the podcast. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. appreciate the opportunity. It's going to be a fun conversation. So, Matt, so um, you might give us a quick background on yourself and a little bit of background on what, you know, where did Final Rise come from? Oh, man, that could be a long, first, a little bit about myself, born and raised in uh, Utah. I'm actually, I just bought the house that I grew up in. That's where I'm sitting in right now, remodeling it. So I'm covered in dirt. If you see a video version of this, you'll notice how dirty (laughs) I am, but that's pretty par for the course anymore. I try to shower at least once a week. Um, Yeah, big hunter across the board, whether that's big game hunting, um, upland hunting, of course, um, man, any any excuse to get out, avid fly fisherman as well. Um, where I live now and where I grew up, I mean, it's it's a mecca. I can be hunting elk 10 minutes from my house. I can be hunting grouse 10 minutes from my house. And I can be fishing blue ribbon fisheries 10 minutes from my house. I really live in a, a very, very special place. So, you know, naturally as just uh, as a young guy, that's what I grew up doing, jumping on my bike, heading places. And that just kind of built that foundation and love and passion for hunting in general and uh, that kind of transcended into my professional career um, for most of my adulthood I guess I'm not very old so I can't I don't even know if I really qualify to be an adult um, <laughs> I think we're all asking uh, ourselves that question hey you know what is you got to be young at heart um, <laughs> anyways I, I've worked for some great companies in the outdoor space I'm actually I still work full-time for a company uh, in addition to final rise um, I, I do final rise in the evening, my wife and I, um, and then over the past year, we've been able to grow it and hire a couple people to help. So for us and different things like that. So, um, that's a little bit about me. Love hunting, love being outside. Any excuse I can to, to be there is, is I'll find a way to get out. So, um, man, final rise. So obviously talked a lot about my, my, my passion for hunting and being outside, um, tying that with, um, being able to work in the outdoor space. I'm kind of a gear junkie. I've been able to have access to a lot of really, really good gear. You know, the camos, the pants, the boots, the packs, all those different things. And I feel like that played a really big role in the development of, of final rise, obviously being an avid bird hunter, um, you know, I, I, there's, there's a lot of really, really good products on the market today. Um, and I've got nothing but good things to say about, um, the different vests and companies that are out there. They're ran by good people and ultimately there's a product for everybody. Um, but what I wanted to bring to the Upland space was a lot of the understanding of backpacking and backpacks in general. So I, I, do quite a bit of backpack hunting. I'll live out of a backpack for a couple weeks a year. And so over time you learn what weight goes where and how you want a, a vest to balance and how a vest should actually feel 
what its carrying capacity should be, what it needs and what it doesn't need, um, which is very, very important in my opinion. And so, you know, as I, as I looked at a lot of the products that are currently offered to the Upland Hunter, you know, there's, again, there's some great, great things, but I felt like a lot of the innovation had stopped in a way. Now I understand, you know, within, you know, you want to talk strap vests, there's only so many things you can do to a strap vest, right? You know, it's just like, just like a car, cars are all going to have four wheels. Um, so you can't deter or, or, or venture too far from that very foundation. Um, but then again, looking at, okay, here's what's happening in the big game space with components, buckles, materials, all these different things. And here's how a pack should feel. And here's how certain pack companies are using their belts, using a lumbar pad, load lifters, organization. And again, understanding where I should put things and should I allow things to be put there? Um, and what I mean by that is big pockets and different things like that. So I, I think... I speak for most of us when we're out hunting. If, if, we, if we've got a pack and there's a pocket, by golly, we're going to put something in that pocket. <laughs> you can't go empty. <laughs> and all of a sudden, no. you're walking out there and you've got, you got a Lunchable. you got a... <laughs> oh, you can put a lot of stuff in a pack. <laughs> right? And so all of a sudden, you're like, okay, I'm never really going to use this, but I have it. Anyways, um, so yeah, I, I just felt like there was there was this need to bridge that gap between, you know, a lot of the great products that were already being made in the upland space with a lot of the innovation and advances that were happening in backpacks and in the big game hunting space. And so bringing a lot of that understanding into an upland vest, I felt like things could be improved. And so we were talking a little bit before we started recording, but you talk about a true weight bearing waist belt, right? That gets thrown around all the time. People are like, Oh, it's a weight bearing waist belt. Is it, is right. it really a bearing waist belt? Because there's so much that goes, it's not just the waist belt itself. It's how the pack attaches to that belt, the angle that that pack sits at, how the shoulder straps attach, where those shoulder straps connect to that belt. Right? So that, that belt is the foundation, but, there's compounding elements that build on top of that, that actually really make it weight bearing. Right. And what we mean by that, when we use that phrase weight bearing is that that belt should hold, in my opinion, 80 to 90% of the load that is in the game bag, shell pockets, et cetera. Um, and it, that's, that's so, well, people are probably wondering, well, why is that important? Well, that's important because if you think about, you know, I, I'm a big chucker hunter. You guys are big quail hunters, right? You're doing big, you, they're big walks. They're big days. You know, when we go hunting, it's you're there to, to climb before the sun comes up because it's going to be so damn hot. You're going to get up there. You're going to hunt for as, as long as you can. Later in the year, you can obviously hunt longer. Um, but you're, you're putting in big mile days. You got to have the water carrying capacity. You got to have all the gear. You're not going out there with you. And so that's important, again, from the, the weight bearing perspective that you can carry all that stuff comfortably that at the end of the day, your shoulder straps aren't hurting your neck. I think, you know, I, I, I obviously get to talk to a lot of great people on the phone and we talk through these things and what are the advantages, disadvantages, et cetera, of different packs and different things that are out there. And nine times out of 10, someone can always relate to like, yeah, my neck is really sore at the end of the day. Yep. Well, that's because what's happening is what I call the saggy diaper effect, <laughs> <laughs> right? The game bag on a bird vest is the biggest 
pocket that's available. So naturally, we're trying to put as many things as we can in there, or very often, the largest things, which also weigh the most. So anytime you're putting that weight in there, that is going to pull on that shoulder harness, and that's going to put that pressure on your, on your, on your neck. Um, another thing to talk about that I talk a lot about the, the angle of the pack. So if you look at our pack, and you're probably the only one that will ever see my hands here, but <laughs> <laughs> so we, with the waist belt, the back of the pack should be slightly higher than the belt itself. So when you look at our vest, it kind of sits at a small angle. If that angle is below, if you see the back of a game bag that is drooping or sagging down by your butt, that's going to pull on your waist belt. That's not allowing that weight to shift forward to your back, right? Because if the back of my game bag is slightly elevated from the belt and I put something in this, that angle, gravity is going to do its job and suck that weight in. And it's yep. going to sit right at the small of my back. And that's where you want that weight to ride. That's why those water bottles are there. That's why those shell pockets are there because you're loading that on the core or the strongest part of your body. If that angle is drooping down, gravity is going to pull that thing away from you. So whether that's chucker, quail, pheasant, whatever, now you're pulling that weight away from your body. You want that weight to come towards your body. And that and that's super important when it comes to that tension that's on the shoulder straps. There's a video that we did very, very early on on Instagram. You'd have to scroll back. It was probably one of the first 10 posts that we ever made on social media. Um, it was my dad's birthday. My, I, I don't get an opportunity to hunt with my dad a lot, um, but I took him out to a game preserve um, later in the year and we went and shot some pheasants. And uh, in that video, I take, I think it was six or seven roosters, stuff them in the bag. Now, I mean, it's, it's overflowing. I mean, that's a, <laughs> that's a lot of birds to fit in. A bag. Yes, half a dozen roosters. That's a lot of, that's a lot of weight. <laughs> but in that same video, I then take off the shoulder straps of the vest while I'm standing there, I've got everything cinched around me and the vest sits there. The shoulder strap should not be carrying the weight. If you can feel a lot of tension on that, the waist belt is not doing its job. Right. Cause I mean, and tell me if I'm wrong, just cause I've got limited Western hunting experience in packs, but um, I was always taught, you know, when you have the weight there, you should be able to take your hand and put it between the strap and your shoulder. Absolutely. You're, you're nailing it, man. When, when I, I mean, when I've got the vest all buttoned up and I've, I, I'm pretty minimalist, but I've got a lot of stuff. Obviously you're going out with, I'm usually hunting two dogs. I've got lunch. I've got shells. I like carrying a full size camera for taking pictures and different things like that. So it's, I, I've got a lot of gear on me. Um, but yeah, I mean, what, when I've got that on there, I can fit my hand underneath my, my shoulder strap. No problem. There's actually a little bit of play in it. And it doesn't need to really be there. I mean, shoulder straps are to, to, to balance the front and rear of the bag out, right? Like you got to think of things as a teeter-totter, right. right? And this is coming back to what often happens and how we load our bags and understanding how to load a bag is that if you keep putting everything in the game bag, we're experiencing that saggy diaper and there's not enough weight on the front end of the vest to counterbalance that. So one of the things, one of the ways you can counterbalance that, because more often than not, you think about shell pockets, most guys, it's, 
I'll take a box of shells when I'm going out. And sometimes that'll last me two or three hunts if we're not getting a lot of shooting in. Right. But I'm also using that offside um, shell pocket as uh, I put my camera in there. It's a little bit bigger camera, but it fits there. But I'm using those pockets for additional storage space as well. And what happens is I'm able to balance front and back how that vest actually sits right. And to me, that's, that's super, super key. Um, and that's, that's really a, a big part when it comes to um, the overall comfort of the vest as well. Right. That's, and that's pretty awesome that you got, you're doing that. Um, I know one feature we did talk about, you know, talk about before we started recording that I love cause I, well, I told you about vest I run. I'm not going to mention it on, on the podcast, at least I'm not going to try to, but on mine, oh. my buckles, yeah, they, they go away from, or the straps pull away from the buckle. So you're kind of mm -hmm. like pulling them, you're starting kind of line with your belly button and you pull back towards your hips. Mm -hmm. And I have the hardest time getting that to cinch tight. So that's one thing I noticed on, on your packs, while I was looking at them online, was you've got more like, um, uh, my, like my Mystery Ranch pack has it, but the buckles, the strap starts by your hips and you go back towards your belly button. And man, you can... You can cinch that thing down tight. So that's one thing I I got a kick out of on on yours was it's like because they the one I've got they marketed as a weight bearing load or weight or load bearing belt, mm -hmm. but you can't. It's I mean it can do it, but you can't get it tight enough to do it. Like especially if you're just out running around. Like it's kind of like um like I kind of so I ride uh horses a lot. Um and so anybody's listening to this if they're familiar with horses, you know it's kind of like when you first get on. You know, you do up that cinch, and then you, you flex the horse, and then usually after the first couple of miles, you get off, or you lean down and you tighten that cinch up again. And these belts are the same way, and just but you can never get that cinch tight enough. But where with this other design, that cinch can get up, and you can actually have a good, comfortable ride per se. Yep. No, and that's and that's that's again, that's coming. You're, you're totally right. You're talking about you know a mystery ranch pack. Um, that's that's the exact same concept. That's one of those those features that it's like well, that makes it so easy to tighten that down yeah. and tighten it evenly as well, right? A lot of times, if it's a unidirectional strap, you're putting more tension on one side of your hip, and it's hard to get even pressure across. Where if you you can literally just grab at your hips, push your fist away from you, and it just cinches down so nice, and it's so comfortable. <laughs> oh, for sure. Um, so I'm looking at my notes here, and we're talking about um, how so how this applies to the Arizona hunter. So like you said, like chucker hunting. Um, I've hunted chucker in Utah and in, in Idaho, and it's like you said, you're doing a lot of walking. It's a lot of vertical country, and that's how you get outside the valley. You know, that's how gambles are too. Like um, you, I always kind of joke around, so you know, after that first bump, they're doing a wicked chucker impression. Uh, I mean, because then gambles, they like to get on a hillside, so you're always going up and down for them. You got and your load's kind of shifting as you're, you know, you're jumping from lava rock to lava rock. So having that load not be, because not just, you know, it's it's better for your shoulders, but if it's not flopping around when you're trying to go through the underbrush, um, you know, is definitely a, a big point in in my eyes. And then like too, you mentioned like the cameras. I carry a lot of camera gear. Um, so like having that shell pocket that you can throw a camera. I run, I think I run the same cameras you like any seven three. But yep. um, where I wanted to go with that, too, was you mentioned your water storage. So yeah. this is a question I've actually been at wanting to ask you, is when it comes to water storage, you mentioned that you've got, well, three different ways to store water. 
um, two two using a bladder, and then also the water bottles. And then, um, if I remember right, water bottles come with the pack, correct? Or yep, yep, that's correct. Yep. So with your bladders, uh, are you able to run simultaneously lumbar and vertical, or is it kind of a one or the other kind of set? It, de- it would definitely be one or the other there. So in the inside the game bag, there is a sleeve that is tacked up in, in two locations okay. and that's that's flush against your back so those two tacks so it's not stitched all the way down they're literally right at the very top of it that allows that when a bladder is hanging vertically down your spine there's a clip in the very top of the between the two panels the okay. top of the bladder can clip in there and then it is hanging and sitting down inside of that pouch and those two stitches keep a vertical bladder from doing this, from swinging back and forth and being able to move, those stitches will hold that in place. Okay. And then if you think on the lumbar side where those two stitches are there, now through the middle of that sleeve, I can slide a lumbar bladder down in and it fits like a glove. So you can run one or the other. There's, I'm a, I'm a vertical bladder guy. If I, if I need to use one early season, that's about the only time I'm carrying a bladder. Once we get snow on the ground or it cools off, um, you know, usually two water bottles are more than enough. Yep. Uh, but yeah, just having, having that water capacity, right. And not only water capacity, but what is that best way with water? Um, early on we took, you know, I've, I've owned and used every vest out there and that's why I can <laughs> tell you how there's so many great, there's a lot of great products out there, but I was so interested, you know, in, in using the materials that we were that, you're not jeopardizing the strug- structural integrity. You're not giving up abrasion, abrasion resistance. You're not giving up durability. You're, you're basically just using materials that are equal then or greater to, but at a fraction of the weight. Um, so we took all the different vests out there, all the commonly used ones that are often thrown around in, in discussions when people are talking about you know strap vests. And our vest was about a pound and a half lighter, empty, <laughs> than... Um, than one of those vests. And so people are like, well, what does that really mean? Well, you, you want to talk about water, right? Well, 32 ounces of water weighs almost a pound. So you can now, you can carry more water in our vest than most vests out there. And even with 32, 40 ounces, whatever you've got in there, now your pack weighs the same as another one empty, right? right? So that's a huge advantage that those weight savings i say that ounces create pounds and pounds create pain like you talk about those big long hunts like it it matters i'm not a huge ounce counter as long as i'm not jeopardizing the comfortable um or the comfort excuse me of of a product Mm -hmm. um that's just a huge advantage that i feel like our vest offers and again coming full circle to that waist belt it's not just being able to carry the water but actually make it comfortable the vest has to be comfortable, right? Nobody wants to walk around with a gallon of water and just feel like this, this sucks. This is uncomfortable. And you're just hoping you can water your dog every chance he walks by so you can get rid of that water. Right. Right. Uh, that's, that's just super important. And I feel like is a, is, is a great feature and something that we really thought through knowing that there are hunters just like you and I, that it's, you're, you're going for big walks. And then the other side of that, if you don't need the bladder, you, you can take the water bottle holsters off if you wanted to at the end of the day. I mean, you can really strip that vest down and make it whatever you want it to be. I mean, that was the goal of the vest, 
was to create a foundation that wrapped its arms around the majority of the market's needs, understanding how most people hunt, the style of most people, but then offer the opportunity to add on to that, knowing that there are guys, whether they're guiding, they're doing bigger hunts, they're doing multi-day hunts, they're running lots of dogs, whatever, and giving them a system that they can then build on with those additional accessories and different pieces and make that theirs because you know as well as I do that none <laughs> of us run our system the same way, like handhelds. That is a question I answer all the time. And so, I mean, it's like, or do I put my handheld or can I do put my handheld here? And I want to carry water this way and I want this pocket to be this deep and all these different things, right? Like right. we get into the higher end gear and people are pretty particular. And so we, we tried to really take all that feedback into consideration and build a vest and a system that could cater to all those needs and provide that flexibility and customization to make it theirs. So I want to take that because I think that I think it's pretty awesome the way that the whole vest design and then take that a step further because you've been using this thing not just for uplands, but you've recently been doing some turkey hunting with your vest as well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny because I'd seen and I'd never I, I'm I'm I've turkey hunted for six or seven years. It was something I kind of started doing when I wasn't spring bear hunting. Um, and really fallen in love with it. They're miniature elk. I really enjoy hunting them. But, you know, I always just carried a little backpack and we were just running around or um, I'm, a, I'm a big traditional bow hunter. So I hunt with the recurve um, and have for the past seven years. And so a lot of times, you know, you're sitting in a blind, setting up decoys, calling birds in and you're shooting them point blank. So there wasn't like a need for that vest. But over the past two or three years, I've really become very fond of hunting them with a shotgun just because I can get out and chase the birds. And uh, anyways, that's just so much more fun to me. So it's like, okay, so not only do I have, you know, a, a great, uh, you know, upland hunting vest, but the vest is capable of, of more than just one application. And that was really, you know, a, a vision from the inception of, of the design and, and the start of Final Rise was to create a product that was multidimensional in its uses and applications and so instead of just having a vest, you know, and, and the thing is, is I understand that it's an investment when, we're, when you're making or you're buying a high end piece of gear, you don't just want to use it for a couple months out of the year. So most of us hunt more than one thing or we're hunting a lot or training our dogs or whatever, like we're using there, there's a, there's an opportunity to use a high end piece of gear for a number of different right. things throughout the year. And so talking about the turkey seat, it's like, you know what, this bag's fully capable of carrying a bird. It's super comfortable. I can carry my water. I can put a box call in there. I can put slate calls in there. I can put snacks in there. It's like all the stuff that I need to run and gun and hunt turkeys. Now, what else do I need? A seat. So sweet. Okay. Well, let's, let's create a seat, but let's not just create a piece of foam that you sit on. Like let's turn it into an asset. Let's take that one step further and make that something that contributes to the overall system. And so the way that our seat works, it obviously can hang down and you can sit on it, right? right? That's straightforward. But it can also flip back up across the back of the bag and attach. There's some straps that hang down and it basically creates a little cargo carrying spot. So if you're running with a stool, a decoy, a ground blind, whatever, now you've got a way to actually carry that and have room in your game bag to carry your bird. Right. So anyways, that's just kind of been the, the vision from the get go was like, I, I don't want to make a product that's a me too. 
right? I don't want to just say, Hey, I, I make a vest and you know, I want people to buy it. Like I, I want to continue to, to push things and try to kind of raise the standard and raise that bar in the hump, uh, upland hunting space. And I feel like, you know, competition is important, right? I feel like that fuels and pushes all of us. Oh, for and sure. it's, been, it's been fun to see what's happened over the past couple of years as people are like, all right, you know, these, these guys are serious. They want gear specific to them. They're tired of, you know, wearing their, their Sitka or their Kuyu or whatever out hunting. They want dedicated gear specifically to them. And a lot of those, a lot of, a lot of Western hunting specifically as well. Um, and so that's kind of been our vision is to continue to raise that standard. And hopefully by us doing our very best, it'll push others to do their best as well. And hopefully the Upland community as an entirety benefits from that. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a pretty awesome way to look at it. Cause, and I think you're right in that, you know, as one, actually, I think I figured, um, I want to put this, I think I actually heard it on like a mountain ops video, like, um, as one ship rises in the harbor they all rise i think yeah. I, I heard that like years ago on on some video but uh i, I should know it because i work for mountain ops but <laughs> it uh it's basically rising tides lift all ships that's that's it, the one right yeah. so it's like if 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 we're raising that bar every boat in that port or every business in that space like we're all benefiting right it's 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 pushing all of us to be better and it's you know, my approach to business is it's the land of plenitude, right? Um, I, I feel like that's just so important to know that there is a customer for your product. There are people that will value certain things. And there are people that, you know, for me at the end of the day, I, it doesn't hurt my feelings when someone doesn't buy our vest. Like my hope is that that person does get the right vest because what that does, if they get the right product, they're going to enjoy hunting. Yep. They're going to start supporting that community. They may invite someone else to go hunting with them. They may support another business and in some way, shape or form come full circle in a year or 20 years down the road in some small way, I might benefit from that. And I've actually reached out to a couple of people, you know, you, you talk about Facebook and different things. And right. I don't know how many threads there are about best boots, best shot size and best vests out right there. I mean, they're the dime a dozen, but I always reach out to people on there and say, Hey, if you want to, if you have questions on a vest, call me. Like I've used them all. I've tried them all and I'm happy to answer your questions. And there's been a couple guys I've talked to and I said, you know what, right now my vest might be overkill for what you're doing. Here's, here's a product that I recommend for what you've got going. I'm not worried about, I have a full-time job, I guess is what I'm saying. I've got a full-time right. job on, I want to do it right. It's, it's not about me. It's just about, I, I guess, the whole Upland community. And, and it's that that's the future of this, I guess, is what I'm getting at. So anything I can do to prolong that so that I can benefit from that in my personal hunting or whatever, I win that way. And so that's that's kind of my mentality. Yeah, that's yeah, and I think that's the, the way you got to be. Um, I think I mean, the way to be rather just because, you know, especially, you know, you see like you have a full time job. So, I mean, that does that does help. Um but yeah, just getting everybody out there. Cause at the end of the day, we just want to just get more folks out there, get them enjoying it. I mean, the ones we have, you know, it's, well, what's R three is re recruitment, retention, reactivation. So I mean, you got to make sure that all the R's, you know, are are, be are being taken care of, you know, down the line, not just now, but in perpetuity. Um, but uh, one thing, I guess, while we're on here, because um, I do want to keep talking about turkey hunting, just because I'm a 
I have a turkey nut. Um, I cut my so I don't think you know this, but um, I'm from back east originally, so turkey okay. hunting was my bread and butter. You know, we didn't have spring bear, so it was spring it was spring bear and spring walleye is what we did. So, and then yeah, so that's just when you start talking running a gun, you're like oh, I'm just I'm just thinking about my I got an upcoming uh, turkey tag, and it's like oh yeah, this is it's it's go time. It's that time of year. It's yeah, it's time to start getting them out there. But um, I, if you don't mind talking about it, I'd love to hear about your recent hunt. You were in California. Yep, California. Yeah, you mind I was talking about that. I was just yeah, yeah. I was just uh, what was I? Just west of Sacramento. Uh, have have a good friend, a couple of good friends out there. Um, big traditional bow hunter guys as well. Have gone out there striper fishing, hog hunting, uh, turkey hunting a couple different times with them and. Um, you know, one, I, one of them that I, I, I still, I still talk to all of them, but one of them I talked to quite a bit and he was like, Hey, you ought to come out this spring. And with, you know, bef- before it was really tough this time of year in, in a lot of the outdoor space, like it's show season, you've got different yeah. expos and different things going on. So it was like January through basically April, you were at shows. So my hunting was super limited and I was like, well, dude, if I'm, I'm, I'm going to get out there. You know, if I've, if I've got time to be able to run out there and work works there and I can get away and do what I need to do, I'm going to, I'm going to get out there. So went out there, um, go, I think California, I'm, all anybody from California that listens to this is going to hate me, but <laughs> I think they've got some of the best Turkey hunting in the West and some of the best opportunity. Now their gun laws and their ammo laws are a freaking joke. And I think any California resident will tell you that, right. um, but hunting, they got a lot of birds. Um, a lot of it's private. Uh, my good friend, he he's he lives in a Fairfield. A lot of winery, a lot of ranches, different things like that. So fortunately, he's got some great connections, and so that's you know a golden opportunity to be able to go out and find birds and have have some really good opportunities on unpressured birds. But uh, yeah, got out there, just did their two day hunting license. Um, we would hunt. Uh, with our bows in the morning, sit blinds, call it birds. Um, they were just super hand up, just big flocks. And then once all those hens would go lay down in the middle of the day, we'd hop out, grab the shotguns and go bebop around. So it, it took me until the second day, mid morning to get one killed, but it was, uh, it was, it was a fun hunt, great way to kick off the spring. And, uh, it was actually the first Turkey I've shot with the, a 28 gauge. I've been, I've kind of enjoyed sub gauges, whether that makes me a hip up lender, I don't know. Uh, but I've always, always used and enjoyed them quite a bit. And uh, anyway, so I was like, "Oh, that'd be a fun challenge." Get out there and went and patterned the gun. And anyways, it was it was bang flop, and I was like, "Damn, the thing that'll do it, right? That'll do." <laughs> no, that's uh, it's just funny here. So this is probably the year to have a twenty eight gauge. Seems like at least here in Arizona, that was the only ammo you could find on the shelf. me and my buddy were talking about that yesterday so i'm i'm in the middle of moving right we were talking about that and so it's like for the past six months my i mean my my life's been in trail i mean two enclosed trailers the toy hauler you know another small camper i just like all my gears is crammed in these boxes and so yeah every time i'd go to a store there's 28 gauge i grab a couple boxes every time you know walk in grab two or whatever it was it was just get them while you got them. And 16 gauge was also readily available. And I've, I've got a couple 16s I really enjoy. Um, 
anyway, so yeah, I just kept buying that. And then yesterday I was, I was unpacking. I have 130 boxes. Of <laughs> I'm like, Oh God, <laughs> but I didn't know it. Like I go unpack this trailer and I'm like, Oh sweet. Here's a couple boxes. And then here's a couple boxes here. And then I opened the, my little deck organizer thing in the back of my truck this morning. That whole thing had a case in there. I'm like, Oh, so yeah, 28 gauge. It was the, it was a good year to have them. I know a lot of guys that bought them just because they could get ammo for them. They'd go grab a little Stevens five, five, five or whatever, whatever was on the shelf at one of their sportsman's stores or whatever. And anyways, (laughs) Hey y'all, sorry to interrupt the conversation. I know we've had a lot of fun so far, but if you've made it this far, please either go on to Instagram and then at Jess Warner photo or via email at jessejwarner at gmail.com. Just shoot me a line. Uh, just put in episode 14 as a subject header. Um, and what we're going to do is everybody that sends us that, I'm going to ask for your address, and we're going to send you a just a little memento of our uh, appreciation. We're going to send you a little decal, a little sticker for the Arizona Field Podcast. Um, again, just to show appreciation that, hey, you've made it this far, and I definitely appreciate you guys sticking around. So with that, let's jump back into the convo. No, that's funny though, because that yeah, that's I'm kind of wishing I had bought a 28 because again, like it was the same it was the same story down here in Phoenix. That was the only thing you could find on the shelf. Uh, man, I I hunt primarily with a 20, and uh, I had to go online. You know, I've been buying um, from online. That's the only place I could find it. Nobody locals got it. But uh, so you, you said that one's your so you shot your turkey with a 28. Is that the same 28? So I'm one of those guys that when, if I'm, well, I seem to be bored quite often lately, but if I'm not working, I'm you know, kind of, I'll sit around and sit on like social media, whatever. And I keep seeing Final Rise doing a lot of posts. Is that the 28 you were working on? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a gun that I kind of, I guess, refinished in a way. Um, it was a, it was a, it's a Franke. It's that instinct L um, in a 28 gauge. And I bought it a couple of years ago. I bought one of the first over unders I bought five, six years ago or so. Um, I'd always hunted with a semi auto and then I was like, Oh, I'm going to get a 20 gauge. And so I, I, I got a Franke instinct Dell and a 20 gauge. Okay. And those guns fit me incredibly well. I think, I mean, for the money, I think they're a really tough guy to beat. I'm a, I'm a Browning guy at heart. Browning's in my backyard. <laughs> I've got friends that work there. I love supporting them. Well, it's kind of, uh, you kind of have to be in Utah, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Ogden, but, Utah. <laughs> but we've got, you know, that, that Franke fits me really good. So I was like, okay, you know, when I started getting into, when I wanted to try a 20, I was like, you know, I know this gun fits me very well. I'll just get one in a 28 while I bought it. And then I just didn't hunt with it a lot. Um, it wasn't, this was several years later and, you know, all, like a lot of things, once it starts getting mass produced, it just some, sometimes the quality kind of, and not, not the quality, but it just, the finish wasn't as good and the stock kind of looked a little iffy or whatever. And I was like, man, whatever. And I, I just I put it back in the box and it just sat there. And uh, I was, I saw a video Oh, uh, what Larry Potterfield from Midway USA, right? Right. Uh, I was on, I was on YouTube and I was farting around doing something. I usually watch YouTube when I'm on the Stairmaster at the gym, something to distract me. 
and I saw this video where he converted this, I can't, I don't know if it was a Remington 1100, um, an older gun or whatever. And he, he converted it from a pistol grip to a straight stock. And I kind of watched it. I'm like, I can do that. <laughs> so, so I go home and I, and I, I like, I like English grips. I've got mo most of my guns, um, have them. Um, and I was like, I'm, you know, I love this gun. I'm just going to refinish it and I'm going to, I'm going to take, you know, take a swing at doing this. And so I ground it down, got the biggest bastard file I could put it in a freaking vice dude and just started shaving on it and <laughs> got it shaped. And then I just sanded the entire thing. Um, and it turned out being, it's a really, really pretty gun. There was some beautiful wood hit under that baby poop finish. or whatever. <laughs> they put on. Yeah. They just <laughs> laid the lacquer right to it. Oh, dude, 30 coats at least. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, yeah, I just I just stripped it down and uh, shaped it and everything, took measurements off of my my brownings that fit me really well um, and just kind of matched, matched all those specs up, matched like the diameter of the throat and everything. And, uh, yeah. and then I ended up rechecking it myself. I'd never checkered a gun, but I figured, hey, I've come this far, I might as well try. So I took a crack at that and it, it turned out pretty good. You know, it's, it's, there's a couple things I'm like, eh, but it's mine. I did it. Gun shoots well, fits me well. And uh, I think it'll be a fun one to carry in the field this year. Hey, at the end of the day, you know, it's all, well, as long as it works, I mean, that's, that's phenomenal. But I mean, the, the fact that it's, it's yours and I mean, there's probably not a whole lot of English stock Frankies out there. Nope. I, I, I hope I'm the, hopefully I'll, I'll start the revolution and they'll start making one. Maybe. <laughs> then I can have one that looks good. <laughs> start having to like start tagging Frankie in these podcasts. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll hear it, but yeah. uh, no, that's, no, that's pretty there. awesome though. Cause that's, that's something you don't hear about a whole lot. You know, guys are, you know, touch up blue wing or a finish now and again, but I've never heard anybody converting a pistol grip to an English. Yeah. Like I figure when you said, you know, converting, I figured you went from like a pistol grip to a Prince of Wales or something like that, you know, like, right. Cause I really like the Prince of Wales grips, but no, that's, well, that's what it had. It had a Prince of Wales. It had a Prince of Wales grip on oh, it. Oh, it did have a Prince. Okay. It had, it had the POW on there. And so I just took a ruler, put an angle to it and started going, man. And it turned out, I mean, like, like I said, and the, and the gun fits me really, really good. So it was fun to take that out and have a little, little debut on some turkey action in cali <laughs> no that's that's pretty awesome especially that you did you know you said you did that running and gunning right yeah yeah we'd uh struck up a couple birds my buddy sat back to call and they were just i mean just any time he touched the slate dude they would just hammer so i'd ran up the road thrown out a breeder decoy in the middle of the road and then just jumped back in the shadows sitting under a tree and after like five minutes, I'm like, dude, they're not going to, they're not coming over here. You know, they were across this big ravine and there's these trees and my buddy's like, they'll fly over. I'm like, dude, I've never seen a turkey fly over. Now this is my, this is my Utah, Texas, Oklahoma, Tennessee hunting experience. I've just never had a bird fly across a canyon to a call most of the time because in those flat states, there aren't canyons. Right. So they can't. <laughs> I don't know what a canyon is. <laughs> California, they were, they were rolling hills. I won't give, I won't call them mountains, but. So anyways, I run down the road, get on the scat track, and I'm about to get to these birds. My buddy's still calling, and I can see their little heads through the trees. And, dude, wouldn't you know it, they freaking fly. <laughs> <laughs> and they flew right to the clearing that I'd set up in and got – and anyways, they, they, they saw that decoy – 
And that was my saving grace. You know, I ran all the way back around, was coming up the road and I could hear them just kicking and trying to breed the decoy and stuff. So I knew they were there. Yeah. So I just got prone and just belly crawled in the shadows through the tall grass. And they were all together at first, you know, and they like, they're just all around the decoy. Finally, one split off and I just gave him a little putt putt and he stuck his head up and got him. <laughs> you got him with a putt putt. No kidding. Yep, just yeah, to get him to strut and put his head in the air so I could shoot him. Right, that'll do it. Yeah, usually when I, whenever I put it on, they just they don't even put the heads up. They're just sayonara. We're, they know what a putt putt <laughs> means and they're gone. Um, so in Cali, uh, what kind of, what subspecies are those? So they, dude, they're like bastard turkeys. It's really weird, like from turkey to turkey. So there's Miriams and there's Rios, and we have both here in Utah as well. The Miriams are up north, the the Rio's down south, but like from like Tom to Tom, like they all like looked different. Like some would have just like a straight Rio fan and then some would have like the Rio barring with the Miriams band across the top of it, like almost like a hybrid bird. Like it was really weird. Like you'd see this flock of turkeys and they're all strutting and all of them look a little different. So it was kind of cool. I'd, I'd, never even realized that until I started looking at a bunch of them and my buddies were like, yeah, dude, they just crossbreed. Like they're just, you don't know what you're going to get. <laughs> yeah. I've heard of that in other, in other um, states where they, where they cross a lot, like, like Nebraska and the Dakotas and you know, where they have, yeah. they'll have mixtures of Rios and Miriams. And <sighs> no, that's pretty, I've never seen a hybrid though. So that's, that's pretty cool. Cause we have just yeah. the, the Miriams. Well, we have Miriams, Rios and Goulds here in Arizona, but um, the Rios and the Goulds are really hard to get tags for. So, um, but so most guys, you know, when they are folks, when they see turkeys in Arizona, they used to, you know, those cream colored tips and they're, you know, but, uh, no, that's pretty awesome. I didn't realize that they, they had that kind of hybridization going over there. No, definitely, I don't want to check out California one of these years, but yep. no, that's, you gotta, you gotta, you basically gotta know someone. I mean, it's all right. It's, it's like, all for the most part, but if you got an in somewhere you'll kill birds <laughs> right yes yeah, probably something more like uh well if folks are more true to like a like texas you know it's all private land over there oh, like yep, very, what's what's yeah. Texas like 14 percent public if lands that, or something like that it's that might be generous yeah right <laughs> I, i'm used to arizona we have like 67 percent of it's huntable here um yep. and i know utah's got a lot of public too yep utah's awesome dude i feel feel lucky to be here <laughs> But yeah, so I think as long as you're good, we might cut her off there because I know you got some stuff to do, and I'm getting a nod that I'm supposed to go um, take her down and get her car back. I guess the the shop is done with it, so <laughs> I've been getting the 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 watch for the last ten minutes. So, <laughs> but um, but Matt, I can't thank you enough for coming on and uh, and talking finalize. I think it's a pretty cool product, and you know, as far as I'm just glad that somebody's making a vest that. You know what? You you've made it for the air for the Utah hunter, but I feel like that's the one other place that really knows what's going on here in Arizona. Nope, I I appreciate it. I, I really feel, you know, I, I'm excited about the product. I think it's a vest that can excel in any upland application, whether that's out here west in the grouse woods or or wherever you want to put it. I I think it's a pack to that'll that'll handle anything you can throw at it. So I appreciate you having me on. Appreciate the opportunity to talk about it, and uh, yeah. Appreciate you. <laughs> All right. Well, definitely. Well, appreciate you too. And with that, I think we're going to hang it up for today. So um, I guess that's thank you and goodbye.
Yay. Take it easy, man. Yep.